Well, I'm excited to begin this new series with you that will primarily be on Sunday evenings, though I do anticipate from time to time taking this to Sunday morning and the new series that we're going to start next week on Sunday morning will sometimes come to Sunday evening because there are some things that we're going to go over in this that I would like to have the wider audience and so we'll kind of bounce them back and forth. So you'll have the benefit by being at both. You'll be fine if we flip back and forth. You'll be along the way. Uh, with us either way. <clears throat> Perhaps of all the cities of the Roman Empire in the first century, uh, the city of Corinth is most closely resembling major cities today in America and the culture that, that exists. The city of Corinth was a city that had a love of things and it was a love of pleasure. The citizens of that city were advancing on the ladder of upward social mobility. It was a culture that was modern. It was progressive. It was a cosmopolitan city. Uh, it was a, a place where people longed to be. And you, as being as a port city, uh, you had all kinds of people that would come into this and caused quite a mixture then of people who were in this city. And Paul spent uh, about two years in Corinth working with the congregation there and teaching there. And most of us recognize from reading 1 Corinthians, the first letter that we have given uh, to those Christians, that this was a city and a congregation with all kinds of problems, lots of doctrinal problems. We're aware of those, particularly from chapters 5 to 16. Uh, Every chapter seems to deal with some particular issue, some particular doctrine, and the questions that they had were that they were asking Paul, that Paul is going about answering. And sometimes in our zeal to get to those questions and issues and doctrines, we miss what was perhaps Paul's greatest concern when he writes to them because he spends four chapters uh, in the very beginning addressing one of the biggest problems that the city of Corinth and these Christians who lived there had. And so it is the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians in which we read about a church that is experiencing all kinds of divisions. In fact, you'll notice when you look at 1 Corinthians, and as soon as you get out of the Thanksgiving section and the general opening of how those first century letters happen, the very first statement is found there in verse 10, where he says there, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. And he will spend now four chapters going over the issue that they have in regards to the divisions that are taking place in that congregation. And so it is my desire then over the next few weeks for us to look at these four chapters and look and explore how the Apostle Paul deals with the divisions that are going on within that congregation and the solutions that he provides in that. And now we might be sitting back and saying, We don't have any of those problems. We don't have any divisions. We don't have any quarreling. And my response would be exactly. And that's why we're going to go over it to ensure that that doesn't happen. You have probably been at a congregation or have 
heard of a congregation or seen congregations where there are all kinds of inward fighting and there are all kinds of divisions and problems and separations and the things of those kinds. It is not an uncommon thing. Unfortunately, all too often we see congregations go through either splits in a most dramatic sense where there is actually the leaving of people and going to starting a new work and a new place and and the whole bit, or just kind of one that exists internally where there is tension and there is friction and there is strife and there are problems within the group. And I am grateful very much for this congregation for the amount of harmony that we have experienced in the many years, I won't say how many, but many years that I've been here, it's been uh, really an amazing blessing to see the amount of peace and the amount of harmony and togetherness that, that we experience. And so in looking at these, we're not trying to solve a problem, but to keep away a problem that commonly happens in churches today. And so as Paul then addresses these divisions in the Corinthian church, he's going to prepare them for the things that he's about to say. He doesn't get right into it as he does go through his Thanksgiving section and all of that. But as we're going to study tonight, you're going to notice that the way that he introduces himself and who they are and gives his thanks, it is not just going to simply be Me, Paul, you, the Corinthians, thank you, you're great. Now let's talk about divisions. But he says a lot of things in those first nine verses that are really preparing them to overcome divisions. And what the Apostle Paul is going to do then is describe them who they are and what God has done as the foundation by which that would prepare them to overcome the divisions that they're currently experiencing. So we're going to read the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians 1, and then we'll kind of sit down and break apart the things that we see here. So 1 Corinthians 1, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you are enriched in him with all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Paul begins in this section of greetings, and you will notice that verse 2 is quite an extension. 
where it's not just simply into the church in Corinth, but quite a description about who they are. And this sets up for us what the Apostle Paul wants to do. If we are going to talk about divisions and how we can overcome them and keep them at bay, and if we were in the midst of them, how to solve them, the first thing that the Apostle Paul begins with is helping them understand who they are and the descriptions that are given here. You'll notice he says that you were sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people or called to be saints. And when you read about being sanctified, you cannot help but immediately have your mind resonate to the Old Testament of the things that were called sanctified by God, either by the priesthood who was set apart and sanctified by God for the task that was given to them, or even perhaps the vessels that would be used within the tabernacle and in the temple, that they would be set apart, sanctified for use. And that is the idea that the Apostle Paul begins with. Of, you're not just simply God's people. You're not just simply the church that's there in Corinth, but you have been sanctified. You have been set apart. You have been put into God's service, into his operation. And you need to know that that's your position before God, that you've been set apart. You're to be different and you are special then before God. And then in being sanctified and being set apart for his service, with that declaration sets forward to you the idea that there are obligations that come with that. Just as much as the vessels and the priests had certain obligations before the Lord because they've been set apart into God's service, so also are these Christians. I want you to know who you are. You have been set apart. You have been sanctified. You have been put into service. And there are certain obligations that come with the knowledge of who you are as God's people. I would submit to you that I think that many of the sins that we commit and the problems that we get ourselves involved with in stem from us forgetting exactly who we are. We forget our mission. We forget our purpose. We forget that we have been called. We forget who we are. And I think it is great that the Apostle Paul, in recognizing that he is a very lengthy uh, teaching about division that he's going to have to deal with for four chapters in this letter, uh, a quarter of the book, And he begins by telling them, I got to tell you who you are. You need to remember who you are. Look at who you are. And not only that, he amplifies that there in verse two, when he says that you were called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. What a picture that he gives. Because I want you to notice that he's pointing out to them that not only have you forgotten who you are, that you are God's holy people and that you are sanctified, but that you are part of a bigger story. 
Here he brings up and says, you are God's people. You are sanctified. You are set apart just like everyone else who calls upon the name of the Lord all over the place, both theirs and ours. He kind of puts them into the sphere and says, now, do you see the bigger picture? Do you understand who you are, that you belong to a bigger story, that you belong to a bigger group of people, that, yes, you have been called to be God's holy people, along with everyone else on earth who calls upon the name of the Lord. And I think one of the things that happens in divisions is that you forget that greater perspective and you zero in on it's just us right here. And you're not thinking about in terms of the kingdom impact. You're not thinking about Christians in other places. You're not thinking in terms of beyond yourself. You just have all of your problems and your issues right here. And you war and you fight and you divide and there's strife. And you're not considering the bigger picture of who we are. That our purpose and our work is far bigger than ourselves. It is far bigger than what we are experiencing in this local congregation that we have a kingdom work and we belong to a worldwide kingdom of God. And he draws that to their mind by saying, okay, yep, you're the sanctified people of God along with everybody else who calls on the name of the Lord. Do you see your place? You're just one piece in the cog of the great kingdom of God. I will tell you that is for me a Blessing and a benefit that I am able to enjoy as a preacher where I am given the opportunity to go to other places, to go to other churches, where I'm allowed into their work and into their fellowship and see how they are working in the kingdom of God. And it is a reminder to me every time that we are just a small piece of so much that is going on in this state and in this country and across the globe, the working of the kingdom of God and God's people who are at work. And he wants them to have a sense of that, to have a sense of who you are, what that looks like, that we are not islands, but we are part of a greater work and we are part of a greater purpose. And when we forget that greater purpose and we forget the greater work that we are attempting to accomplish, we begin then to fight, we begin to divide, we begin to turn inward in our thinking, and we begin to destroy one another. And so such a a beautiful beginning as he describes who they are. And then you will notice in verses 4 to 9, what he's going to do is express now what God has been doing for them. So here is who you are by the grace of God. And now here are the three things that God is doing for you by the grace of God. And this is certainly then going to set them up for how can you possibly be dividing? Look at who you are and look at what God has done. So let's notice these three things. The first thing that you'll notice is really brought in from verses verse 4 to verse 7. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gifts stop there first picture that he gives is 
Do you understand the grace of God that was given to you? And you will notice by reading that he describes that God had given them gifts. Now, what is one of the big problems that we read about in this Corinthian church is that they had been given miraculous spiritual gifts. And one of the other big sections of the book, chapters 12, 13 and 14, is all about how they are misusing those miraculous spiritual gifts. In fact, it was one of the causes of the divisions. You had some people with their tongues speaking going we are way better than you with so much more better than than your prophecy or whatever gifts you have and notice how the apostle paul frames this when he says there that the grace of god verse 4 was given to you in christ so that in every way you were enriched in all speech and all knowledge jump down to verse 7 so that you're not lacking in any gift They were looking at it and saying, these particular gifts are better than yours. And the Apostle Paul comes along and says, you're supposed to be glad for all the gifts. And before he can even get to that section, I just want you to see how he's laying a groundwork and saying, I am so thankful to God that the grace of God was given to you. In fact, he gave you gifts so that you were enriched with all this knowledge, that you were enriched in all speech so that you were not lacking in any gift whatsoever. Here they are competing about their gifts. The Apostle Paul goes, boy, I'm sure glad that God gave you all those gifts. What a blessing. What a grace. What a gift that God has given you. These gifts were to be used to enrich them in all speech and all knowledge. The Apostle Paul will speak directly to that very point. These gifts were intended for growth, for building up, for edifying. It was supposed to do those things rather than fighting and rather than tearing down. That they would step back and say, how blessed we are that look at all the gifts that God has given us. Look at how the grace of God has been poured out. That they were enjoying and experiencing these very rich blessings, which was to cause them not to fight. That's why I love that he uses the terminology when he says, like in verse 4, it was the grace of God. It was given to you. And verse 7, he calls it a gift. It's the grace of God given to you. It's the gift. This isn't about you. God gave that to you. God has blessed you. What you have, what you have experienced is the grace of God and it's not about you. One of the things that we're going to see quite a bit, I will probably get to say it a lot through this series We could probably subtitle this theme from Undivided. We'll call it a sub-theme. It's not about you. Because that's what he's going to keep telling them again and again and again. This isn't about you. And that's what happens right here with this this introduction of Thanksgiving. Is I'm so thankful, not because you're so awesome, but that God gave you gifts. Look at how God has blessed you. Look at how you've experienced the grace of God. Look how he's given you all of these things. That it's not about you, but you would see then what God has done for you. And when we see what God has done for us, how would we possibly begin to fight with one another? Or quarrel with one another or divide? 
When we are looking at the grace of God and we see all that He's done for us, when we see the rich blessings that we enjoy, when we look around as a congregation and look at the rich blessings that we enjoy in the family of God and enjoy the blessings that we have, here we have God's holy word fully revealed to us. What a blessing it is that we can know the revealed will of God and all that He has done for us and how He has blessed us richly. And then we turn around and read these wonderful words of grace and blessing and then go fight with each other. He says, that can't happen. And so he sets that first place right there and says, do you understand the grace that God's given? Do you understand the gift that you have? Do you see what God has done for you? How can you possibly fight? The second thing, verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second thing he wants them to know that God is doing is that they would have their hope. In the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, in short, to say that we would have our eyes set on eternity, no matter how much we enjoy God's blessings today in the present, we are eagerly longing and waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus. And that's what after saying you've been enriched in every way and all speech and knowledge and enjoying the grace of God and how he's blessed you so that you do not lack any gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord. Are you? Your eyes on eternity are your eyes looking forward eagerly to what is about to happen when our Lord Jesus comes that's the picture that that he gives is that we divide and we fight because we're short-sighted that we're not looking at eternity we're not thinking in terms of a heavenly perspective we're not thinking about the eternal goal that sits before us we're not thinking about the great revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ we're thinking about ourselves and we're thinking about the present when we fight and divide and do those kinds of things with, with strife and here's the, a great statement that's made here did you notice verse 8 here's a statement that God will keep you strong to the end. He will sustain you is what the ESV says. The Greek word there has the meaning of strengthening, establishing, to render constant so that you are unwavering. And so here is God saying, and so he is going to sustain you. He's going to establish you. He will make you constant. He is carrying you along through this. How can we fall apart now by dividing and quarreling and fighting when the goal is to be guiltless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Fighting and strife and division only reveals then that we are not resting our hope on the promises of God. We are not longing for the day of eternity, but instead showing that we are worthy of blame because we are thinking about the here and now. We have lost sight of eternity. And here he's using words that say, you know, you are depending upon God to strengthen you and carry you and sustain you to the end. When Andy was here, he spent quite a bit of time in Ephesians six and he did one whole lesson there about where's your strength. That opening in verse 10 of Ephesians 6, that you stand firm in the strength of the Lord, not in yourself. The Apostle Paul's using that here. Where, how are you going to be sustained? It's by God's strength. It's by God's might. Don't rest upon yourselves because this isn't about you. 
It's about the strength of God. It's about what God is doing. We're longing for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're longing for eternity. And so we desire to be blameless. But if we're fighting and dividing, not looking blameless, not looking ready for the revealing of our Lord. Boy, can you just imagine you catch a congregation in the midst of one of those horrible you know, and I use in a figurative sense, bloody divisions where it's just terrible and just the collateral damage of the, the people and the pain and the hurt that's inflicted. And can you imagine in the midst of that, that, that would be the moment that the Lord Jesus would return? I mean, just would you be ready at that moment after the knockdown, drag out battles that have happened sometimes in the congregation? Here's the Lord coming. Oh, now, are you ready? Well, it doesn't look like it when we're just going after each other. You're not blameless. You're not ready. You're not prepared. You're not sustained by the strength of God. You're depending upon yourself. And so he uses that here and he reminds them, you're not lacking in any gift, but you're waiting for eternity. You're looking forward to that and God will carry you to that end. If you will depend upon him, if you will find your strength in him, And not worry about yourself. But they had lost sight of eternity. And so he reminds them of what God has done for them as they are longing for Jesus to return. And then number three, that he wants them to know what God is doing is found in verse nine. That God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The final thing to prepare for overcoming divisions is to understand that God has faithfully called us into the fellowship together with his son. And I hope you'll get a a feel of that when the way that's worded, you have been called into the fellowship of his son. Here is again this picture of you have been called together. That together we belong with the Son. It's not me by myself and look at me, Lone Ranger Christian, and I'm just going to do this all by myself. But this you here is a plural you. You have been called into the fellowship of Christ. You have been called into the fellowship of His Son. You have been brought into a new family. You have been brought into this new relationship. How then can you fight? How then can you quarrel? How can there be strife? How can you divide? You belong to a new circle. You belong to a new fellowship. There is something special that you now have been brought into. And what has been given to us in this fellowship is to be far stronger and far better than any kind of bond that we may ever have on this earth. Whether we generated ourselves or we were born into it, the fellowship of his son is supposed to be the family that trumps all other relationships. And that's what he calls them to right here is you know who you are. You have been called into this fellowship. And consider again how the Apostle Paul is saying it's not about you because he's saying God puts you there. God puts you into that fellowship. God puts you into that relationship. He puts you into that family. He puts you into that circle. It wasn't about you. You're not so awesome and so special. God puts you in there. So God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship. He called you into that. Look at what he's done for you. And I'm afraid sometimes in losing sight of the family that God has placed us in and forgetting that 
That is not only why we fight and why there's division, but it is even also the reason why many times we will refuse to even spend our time together. We just don't recognize that we have been called into the fellowship of his son. And so then we will ask that, well, you know, can we just meet Sunday morning only and not take advantage of gathering at other times, gathering together to be able to study God's word, to gather into the community, to gather at worship times, even just to gather together because we're the family. This is a fellowship in the Son that we have been called into to gather and to enjoy together. And so we have a shared calling to participate in the new family that's been created by the grace of God. Now, to pull this into the conclusion as he sets this up before he hits this division button and actually specifies what's going on and begins to speak it to him. I just want you to just get a sense of how he has prepared them for these words to be able to be the people of God and to be able to avoid fighting and to avoid strife. Never, ever forget who you are. You have been called as God's holy people. You are set apart for a special purpose in his kingdom. And our conduct then is supposed to match that calling. You have been brought in and you are sanctified and God has called you and you are his saints. You are his holy people. So live that way. Show the world that's who you are. Show one another that is who you are. And then once you remember who you are, remember the three things that God has done for you. Remember that the grace of God has been given to you. And though we are outside of the age of miraculous spiritual gifts, we are certainly able to look around and enjoy all the rich blessings of God and to contemplate and just be stunned by the blessings that we enjoy in Christ to remember those things. Look at what God has done for me. How can I then take all that God has done and turn it into strife, turn it into fighting, turn it into division to remember what God has done, that you have something to look forward to that. It's not about us right here and right now, but we have the goal of not merely bringing ourselves into eternity and longing for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, but that we have a goal, a duty, and a responsibility to help as many people as possible also get their eyes on eternity and help them enjoy being with God forever. How we forget that souls are at stake. And divisions and fighting reveal that we're not thinking about that soul of the other person, but rather about ourselves. Eternity is at stake. Look forward to eternity and help them get to eternity as well. I had a friend who was unfortunately in my home congregation was embroiled. It was in the middle of when our home church basically split and blew up. And, And he just made the point... And him and I don't see eye to eye on much of anything in the Bible. And he knows it. he's one of my best friends. And we just talk about that all the time. But he just made the point. He said, if we're so wrong, how is leaving us helping us? And I said, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I can't answer that. I don't know. Uh, you have to look at the soul and go, I need to try to rescue those souls. 
Not just send them down the river and go, oh well, you know, hope you make it. Too bad for you. Eternity is at stake. What are we going to do to help people to save their souls, put their eyes on eternity? Don't divide. There should not be strife. And then finally, remember your family. Remember into which you've been called. You've been called into the glorious fellowship of His Son. And to remember that that relationship should be above and sustain above anything else that we enjoy in this life. An interesting open. Before He can even make His appeal... He sets them up and says, this is what you are. This is who you are. This is what God has done. Never forget what God has done for you. And that will carry you greatly through life. We're going to sing a song and we invite you then to come to Jesus. We invite you to see all that God has done through his son. The grace of God on display. Eternity offered to be able to be with him eternally. To belong to the fellowship of his son. To be joined with other people who have the same faith. What a glorious blessing it is. If you're ready to do that, will you come to him tonight? Turning away from your sins and be a merciful water for the forgiveness of your sins. Will you come and do that now?